0: Hey folks, this is Dr. Tim Jordan, back with another edition of Raising Daughters. And in the past six weeks, I've actually had the privilege of helping to facilitate four father-daughter three-day weekend retreats. Three of them were with girls who were in grade school and one of them with girls who were in middle school. One was in Germany, one was in Pennsylvania, and two were in California. So I got to observe dads and daughters, and I did a podcast recently about the unique roles that dads can play in a daughter's life. Today, I want to do a little bit different angle. And the angle is this. I hear girls complaining a lot about their dads. For instance, I heard a story, and this is actually a true story, about a very famous mathematician named Norbert Weiner. And he had a, he had a reputation for being kind of absent-minded. Well, one day, his family moved to a new house in Massachusetts, And his wife was the one in charge of all the details. And she knew she couldn't depend upon her husband to remember the important details about stuff, including their new address. So when he went to work the day of the move, his wife gave him a piece of paper on which she had written down his new address. But during the day, when he was working with his students at the university, he used that piece of paper to work out some equations, and then he kind of forgot about it. Well, he returned to his his home and he realized, seeing an empty house, that they had moved that day. He suddenly kind of remembered, but he had no idea where the new address was. So he spots this little girl riding her bicycle down the street. So he calls out, excuse me, I'm Professor Norbert Weiner, and I've just moved. Would you by any chance know my new address? The little girl turns and said, hi, Daddy. Mommy said you'd probably forget. So that's kind of the old story of the absent-minded father who was so consumed with their work that they forget about things at home. That's one of the things I hear girls complaining about a lot. I also have heard girls complaining about several other topics, which I'm going to bring up in this podcast. I heard about this little girl one time who was looking at a picture book when she asked her mom, Hey, Mommy, where do babies come from? And the mom said, Well, a stork, darling, the stork. The girl went back to reading her book, but a few minutes later, she said, Mommy, who keeps bad people from robbing our house? And the mom said, Well, the police, honey. The little girl returned to her book, but just seconds later said, Mommy, if our house was on fire, who would save us? Well, the fire department, darling. The little girl kept looking through her book until she said, Mommy, if I'm sick, who will make me better? And her mom replied, Well, the doctor, honey. The little girl glanced at her book one last time. She said, Mommy, where does our food come from? And her mom said, The butcher's. The girl closed her book, looked at her mom and said, Mommy, what do we need daddy for? Well, I think girls and boys need their daddies for lots of reasons. And I think sometimes uh, dads either fail to live up to their daughters' and sons' expectations, and sometimes they don't. But let me talk about why I think dads act the way they do. And by the way, this might be one of those podcasts where you you and your daughter listen to it together. So have her pull over a chair and listen to it. And when the podcast is over, I think this will be... Uh, the instigation or a trigger for lots of good discussions about girls and their dads. I think as we get into the topic of why dads act the way they do, I think we've got to think about a couple of things. One of them is brain wiring. Hormones. Because so our brains are wired and our hormones are set in a way that's worked for us for hundreds of thousands of years. The reason that men are wired different than women is because, evolutionarily speaking, it helped us survive in some ways. I'm going to mention a few ways as we go along in this podcast. The other thing to remember is that we've got conditioning that goes on for all of us, starting when we're born and all the way through our childhoods. So that conditioning that helps us to act in certain ways is things like messages you get from the adults around you, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, coaches, we also get some conditioning from uh, the modeling that our parents do, and especially how we saw our dads live their lives. And then finally, there's a lot of cultural messages. We notice right from the start what's valued, what's criticized, what's applauded, what's admired, and of course, we're going to probably tend to do those kinds of behaviors that are most admired, the ones that are most noticed. So let me start with a, a issue that I think girls sometimes bring up, which is about their daddies working a lot, that their dads aren't at home as much as they'd like for their dads to be. So let's start with some brain wiring about that particular issue about work. And we have to remember, by the way, when we talk about their brain wiring, that 99.9% of our time as human beings has been lived in uncivilized, prehistoric, primitive conditions. It's really only been in the last couple thousand years that we've been more civilized, if you will, But it takes our brains tens of thousands of years to change as a species. So our brains are still wired for those old school times. So men's brains, right from the start, have larger brain circuits for muscular action, for motor control, exploratory behaviors, spatial skills, rough play, and aggression, which is one of the reasons why if you ask your dad right now uh, how often he got in trouble at school, he would probably tell you uh, a lot and why oftentimes boys do get in trouble more at school. I heard a story about a woman who was found guilty in traffic court. When uh, she was asked by the judge for occupation, she said, I'm a schoolteacher. The judge, who was a man, spoke from the bench. Madam, I have waited years for a schoolteacher to appear before this court. And he smiled with delight. Now, sit down at that table and write, I will not run a red light 500 times. So me, the men's brain, the man's brain, the boy's brain is wired for protection, territorial, territorial defense, and providing. Our role for hundreds of thousands of years has been to protect and provide. I heard a really funny story about this girl who brought her fiancé home, who was a theology student to meet her parents for the very first time. And Her dad was kind of interested to learn what this boy was all about, so he said, uh, uh, young man, how do you plan to make a living? And the, boy said, or the young man said, well, I don't know, but I think God will provide. The father raised his eyebrows and said, hmm, do you own a car? Uh, no, said the man, but uh, I think God will provide that as well. Hmm, the dad said, I see. And where are you thinking of living once you're married? And the young man said, I have no idea, sir, but I'm sure God will provide that as well. Later that evening, the mother asked the dad what she thought of their pres- prospective son-in-law. Well, I don't really think a lot about him, said the dad. He's got no money, he seems to have given uh, precious little time to his future, but on the other hand, he thinks I'm God. So our brain wiring has led us to become the protectors, the hunters, and gatherers, the providers, if you will, but we've also been conditioned by society to think this way as well. Men have been, at least for uh, the last hundred years or so, we've been the breadwinners. Your mom stays home, dad goes to work. Now, obviously, in the year two thousand and seventeen, that's not true, but that has still been conditioned into us as men, also uh, to boys today, who tell me that sometimes when I talked with them, I heard one time about this housework-challenged husband who decided one Saturday to wash his favorite shirt. So he goes into the laundry room and he gets kind of confused. So he shouts out to his wife, "Honey, what setting do I use in the washing machine?" And his wife calls back from the other room, "Well, it depends. What does it say on your shirt?" There's a pause, and the husband yells back, UCLA! I don't think all dads today are oblivious to helping out at home, but I want you girls to remember, and wives to remember, that we've been wired that way, and we've been conditioned that way to think of, our, of ourselves as providers. Another piece of, of, of men that also contributes to this is, is competition and winning. When we're competing, and especially when we win, Our bodies release a lot of testosterone, vasopressin, and dopamine. And so that competition gives men a natural high. It gives them a huge rush when they're competing. Uh, And when they win, they get more. And I think that's why sometimes girls and wives wonder why daddy's screaming at the TV set during a football game. Even watching a sporting event releases those chemicals in our bodies and we get that rush. So we've been wired to, um, to have that thrill of competition, uh, making a sale, buying a company, all those things, I think, can contribute to why men work a lot. There's also that, that sense of social acceptance. Ever since adolescence, when our testosterone started going up, uh, being accepted into the group became more important. Uh, boys become very status conscious, very hierarchical in their groups. Because for the last two million years, the closer we were to the top, the better chance we had of surviving. So that status-conscious thing about who's got more money, who's got the better job, that's also been kind of wired into us. Think about it, too, with boys growing up. The boy who ruled the playground in grade school was usually the boy who was the biggest, the strongest, and the best athlete. And if you ask a group of boys in grade school who's the one who's the toughest and the strongest, they all know. They all know who that kid is because that's what has been conditioned into them to value. Another piece of this pie about work is how dads were parented. I think in previous generations, dads were parented a lot by criticism, being yelled at, spanked. um, And I think especially from their dads. And so a lot of men developed a belief that said, I'm not good enough. And that I'm not good enough belief system that they have carries with them right through into adulthood. And that creates, in my experience, a lot of drive in men to prove themselves where they can work and work and work and they can make money and they can buy a boat and have a big house and it's just never enough. There's this motor that just won't turn off. I think that comes from a man's decision earlier in his life that they weren't good enough. Men have also been told since they were little boys that they're supposed to be independent, to be able to do things on their own, that having to ask for, for help is, is a sign of weakness, I heard about this little little boy one time who was trying to lift this really big, heavy stone, but he couldn't budge it. And his dad was watching, and he said, "Uh, Son, are you sure you're using all of your strength? Yes, I am, Dad. Yes. And his dad said, "Uh, Son, actually, no, you're not, because you haven't asked me to help you, which is probably something many of you have experienced, whether you're a dad listening right now, a man, or whether you're a daughter who's watched their, uh, their dad or a wife who's watched their husband. That asking for help is a sign of weakness, and men are not supposed to be weak. That's been wired in for hundreds of thousands of years. Let me move on for a minute to uh, another area that I think girls often notice about their dads, and I mentioned it in a, and talked about it in a previous podcast, and that is rough and tumble play. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that uh, the male brain has larger circuits for muscular action and motor control, exploratory behaviors, rough play, aggression. That's true. That's been true for a a long time. So we're wired for that. Men are wired for that kind of rough, aggressive kind of play. And if you think I'm just being sexist, then walk out onto the playground and watch three and four-year-olds play. I guarantee you, in general, you will find the boys being more physical and more rough and more aggressive. I remember back in my days with, uh, of training in Boston with Dr. T Barry Brasleton, He had done some research looking at infants, 2 and 3 months old, 2 and 3 month olds. And he would have them sitting in a pumpkin seat and they were filming this and the mom would walk in, sit down right in front of that baby and they watched how the mom interacted. And most moms would be kind of calm, they'd gently squeeze the baby's thighs. They would make a little cooing noise, and the baby would would look at the mom very gently, and the baby would coo back, and then they would start to develop this beautiful, gentle back-and-forth rhythm of of talking back and forth. Sometimes the mom would lead, sometimes the baby would lead, this nice back-and-forth rhythm. The mom would then leave the room, and then the dad would walk in, and as soon as the baby got a sense that the dad was coming over, the baby got what Dr. Breslin used to call a pounce look. Because all of a sudden, the baby's eyebrows arched up, their body got kind of tight, and it looked like they were ready for action. Because they knew that dads were not going to sit down and gently talk in this rhythm, usually. They were going to poke and prod and laugh and giggle. They were going to create a different kind of experience. I mentioned before about the wiring that dads have with rough and tumble play. I also talked about a little bit about how you know men are wired with their brain and also with their hormones that when they play games, especially games where they show strength and aggression, it causes their brain to get the feel-good reward of dopamine. They get a rush from it, which is pushing boys constantly to seek the thrill of the next high. It also may, makes it, I uh, think, much more likely that dads are going to play that way. That's been wired in. I mentioned in the last podcast about why that's so valuable for girls, but I think there's reasons why, and I hope you understand better now. Let me talk for a moment about emotions. Uh, how, how men handle emotions is different than how women do. Same way with boys versus girls. Um, when a man's emotional centers light up in their brain, what happens next to the brain is different than what happens in a woman. When the emotional centers in the female brain light up, two other parts of their brain activate. One of them is their verbal centers. And so, in general, when girls or, or women are upset, or sad or hurt, they tend to want to talk it through. Much more likely to do that than, than boys or men. The other part of the, of the female brain that activates when the emotional centers are lit up, lit up is a part of the prefrontal cortex that likes to process through things, which means that for a lot of girls and women, they tend to ruminate. They think about it and they analyze it and they turn it over and over in their minds sometimes making mountains out of molehills. They tend to overthink things in general. Not always. Men can do that also. But in general, that's, those are the parts of the brain that activate more for a, woman, for a woman. On the other hand, when the male brain is looked at and their emotional centers light up, a different part of their brain then activates. It's not the verbal centers and it's not the prefrontal cortex. It's a part of the brain called the temporal parietal junction. And those circuits are in the brain to analyze problems and to search for solutions to fix problems. Thus, when a daughter or, or, or a wife or anybody comes to a man and they're upset, they're crying, they're showing a lot of emotion, the man's emotional centers light up, but then their, their temporal parietal junction circuits activate and they go right into fix-it mode. And a lot of wives probably complain about that because you're not listening. You're just giving me solutions. You're just trying to fix it. I don't want it to be fixed. Just listen. But it's hard because once once a man's t- temporal parietal uh, junction circuits activate, their emotional centers shut down. They're no longer feeling. They're into the fix-it mode. And evolutionary psychologists have have tried to figure out why that's true. And what they believe is that since man was out there hunting and gathering in dangerous times, he had to be in the moment. He, and he could not allow his emotions to cloud his judgment. He had to be right there, emotions aside, and be analyzing uh, danger all around them. It's also true that boys, because of their conditioning, learn to hide their emotions, it's an ancient male survival skill of facial posturing or bluffing, what some people have called the mask of masculinity. A good example of that was this little boy who, who lived out in the country. And there's an old country doctor who uh, who used to go around to the, to these people's homes and deliver babies. And it was so far out of, in, in the uh, sticks that there was no electricity. So when the doctor came... There's usually nobody home except for the, uh, the mother and maybe uh, their siblings. One time, the doctor arrived at a house of a woman who was uh, in labor, and she was there with her five-year-old son. And the doctor told the boy to hold a lantern up really high so he could see uh, while he helped the mom deliver the baby. So the little boy does that, and the mom's pushing and pushing, and after a while, the doctor lifts the newborn baby by the feet and spanks him on the bottom to give him to take his first breath. And the doctor looks over at the little boy and says, It's okay, son. He, he just needs to breathe. And the little boy says, That's okay, sir. Hit him again. He shouldn't have crawled up there in the first place. Different kind of emotion that maybe would come from a girl. Boys have also been conditioned with a lot of uh, information that says that being vulnerable means you're weak. Boys have been conditioned to not show their emotions because, quote-unquote, big boys don't cry. Suck it up. Tough it out. Boys growing up who are now men, your, the dads who are listening to this, their, their um, adult males didn't model, did not model vulnerability. Think about the heroes in the TV shows and the movies, people like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, very stoic heroes, right? Didn't show any, any, any emotion, had that mask of masculinity. Also, most dads who are listening to this did not see their adult models in their life being vulnerable. They didn't see their dad's show emotion, other than perhaps anger. They, most, most dads today do not see their dads cry, uh, talk about being hurt or being sad. The culture has valued and told boys to value strength, being tough, having muscles. I did a, uh, a blog recently where I talked about who, the heroes in this country who are most admired and most talked about are people like soldiers, soldiers. And athletes and first responders. And those people all do some really cool things and also do some very valuable things. But what about people who aren't them, who are also heroes? People like teachers, social workers, therapists. There are a lot of people, a lot of men who are also heroes, but they aren't the ones who are valued as much. And boys have noticed that. They notice what's valued. They notice who gets affirmed. They noticed who gets the most attention. And... They notice who is the most admired. We need to do a better job of that kind of conditioning for our boys, to teach them that showing their emotions is okay and being vulnerable is not being weak. Last area I want to talk about as far as how dads act and maybe why is, is about dads' ability to relate to girls. A lot of girls tell me they don't share some of their secrets and some of their hurts and some of their friendship issues with their dads because they said their dads could never understand because they were never a girl. I hear that all the time. And so I think part of that is because their dads have been in that fix-it mode so that when maybe girls came to them with some emotion. Dads didn't really listen. They They interrupted or they went right into solving the problem. So I think if dads could learn how to do a better job of mirroring their daughters, you know, repeating back in their own words what they heard them say, things like, so what I heard you say is A, B, and C, and say, did I get that right? And keep listening and listening and getting in their daughter's shoes so the daughter knows that my dad is listening, he cares, he understands, and he's showing me empathy. And perhaps even more important, if dads are then willing to share their own stories from when they were growing up. And even though none of us, us dads, I'm a dad of three kids, even though none of us dads were ever girls, we did experience things that were probably similar to or the same as what our daughters are going through. Most dads have had a period of time in their lives growing up where they felt excluded, awkward, lonely, may have been teased or bullied. So if dads are willing to share their own personal stories, after they listen to their daughters, their daughters can understand, wow, my dad really can relate. He did go through something similar. He knows how I feel. He can relate. So instead of judging dads who are working a lot or dads who aren't showing a lot of emotion or dads who have that mask of masculinity our dads who go into fix-it mode a lot or, or maybe uh, dads who moms think are too rough with their kids or maybe tease them too much. Instead of, um, instead of uh, criticizing dads for that, I think it'd be better if we came from a place of understanding. Understanding the male brain, understanding the, the role of hormones, understanding the role of the conditioning that dads experienced as little boys growing up. I also want to finish here with a, what I think is a really profound and funny quote about dads and the stages of being a dad. Dads, of course, aren't perfect, we make mistakes, and we do play a a very unique role in our daughters' lives. And I think the more that daughters can understand why dads act the way they do, perhaps they'll be a little bit more understanding and patient. Also, they they can tell their dads, they can teach their dads, they can guide their dads about how to support them. I tell girls all the time, before you sit down and start sharing with your dad, I would tell them, Dad, I just want you to listen. I know sometimes you like to fix things, but right now I just want you to hear me. Please just mirror me. So they can kind of cut through the temporal parietal junction uh, wiring and remind their dads that there's a different way to listen than, than fixing things. Let me read you about the stages of dad. At four, year, at four years of age, a kid would say, my dad can do anything. An eight-year-old might say, my daddy knows a lot. A 12-year-old might say, my dad doesn't really know quite everything. By 14 years of age, it's, well, naturally, dad doesn't know that either. By 16, uh, they'll say things more like, my dad, he's a dinosaur. He doesn't know a thing. By 19, dad's okay. He's just clueless. A 25-year-old might say, well, he might know a little bit about that. At 35 years of age... He might say, before we decide, let's see what dad thinks. By 45 years of age, she might wonder what dad would have thought about that. And at 65 years of age, she might think, boy, I wish I could talk it over with my dad. Value dads. Be patient with dads. Understand dads. Pass this on to everybody you meet. By the way, listen to this with your daughters. Have them listen. Use this as a topic of conversation. It might bring up some issues that your girls would like to talk about with their dads, clear some things up, teach their dads how to support them. I'll be back in two weeks with a podcast. Every other week, obviously, um, there's a podcast, but also in between, I, I publish a blog. Go on my website at www.drtimjordan.com just to get any information you want about all the things that I offer. I really appreciate you listening in. I appreciate comments and feedback. Also, send me any, any kinds of ideas you have for future topics. I'll be back in two weeks with a podcast here. And This podcast is called Raising Daughters. I'm Dr. Tim Jordan. Thanks for stopping by.